really like this time of the year because, you know, it's Christmas time, right? And, and, but the, the flip side of it is it's, the, it's, it's literally the darkest time of the year. So for many of you, you, you drive to work in the dark, and then you come home in the dark. It's like, it's kind of, well, not to make everybody depressed, but it is kind of depressing, right? And um, so I was kind of looking around at other, other cities, like what their daylight hours are. Like London, I think the, the sun sets like at 3.45 in the afternoon. I'm like, oh my gosh, just shoot me now, right? And uh, in Anchorage, Alaska, I think it only has like seven, six, seven hours of daylight, and of course here in... Rochester, the, the sun sets around 4.30 this time of the year, and, and uh, the sun comes up at 7.30 or something. So it's just, it's just, we don't have a lot of daylight. And then the summertime, of course, it's, you know, it's so nice to have all that, that daylight. But the one thing that really helps with uh, this time of the year and all the darkness we have, I, just, I said this last week, I love the Christmas lights. The gaudier, the better. So if you, just, if you go all out, thank you, because we appreciate that. Uh, Kathleen and I uh, were coming home last night uh, from a dinner, and, and we kind of took the long way. You ever take the long way in your neighborhood or just to look at the lights? Really? You guys don't do that? You guys need to chill a little bit, okay? You, you need to do that. So we kind of took the long way, and there, there's one house in, in, in our neighborhood that just goes all out. And, um, and it just looked great. It just gaudy, great, everything, Christmas lights, every, it just, you know... Santa's workshop. I mean, it's just every, every it was all, all there. And uh, so it kind of helps. I, I love looking at the lights because it kind of helps with the darkness. And really, when we think about um, the Christmas season, we really see just God piercing the darkness. And, and I, I really want us to, as we're studying um, the birth of Christ through the uh, uh, Gospel of Luke. And God, the Gospel of Luke Luke does such a great job of giving us details that we may not see in other, in other Gospels. And we're going to look at a detail that uh, Luke gives us that kind of surrounds the, the birth of Christ and what was going on in, in that world at that time. And what's interesting, it's, it's really not any different than what we see in our world today. And I think sometimes, we, you know, we get this sanitized, you know, view of, of Christmas, you know, the manger scene, and we sing all the Christmas carols, and, and, and that's all fine. But really, if you look at the birth of Christ and what surrounded it, it was a very dark spiritual time. And I believe God chose that time for a reason. He, he chose that time in history for a reason. And what Luke does is he kind of gives us a little bit more insight to what surrounded the birth of Christ. And I want to juxtapose what we... What, what was seen in that world at that time with how Jesus came to us and how he came in this, this spiritually dark time to shed his light to us, to show us that there's a way out. And so, and so we're going to look at that today. And what I want to do today is I, I, I want to look at why uh, the birth of Christ was, was so important. And, and the birth of the Messiah was announced hundreds if not thousands of years prior to Jesus coming to earth. And so what, what I want to do this morning is I, I want to look at this anticipation of the Messiah because the Jews were anticipating a Savior. They were wanting one, and what they were looking for was may, maybe a, a Savior that would come and maybe rescue them from you know, political tyranny, maybe from the oppression of Roman rule. 
but what we understand through scriptures is that we needed a savior. Not, not, a, not a political savior. We needed a spiritual savior. And, and so we're going to look at that today. And we'll, I, I want to look at um, some Old Testament and, and some New Testament passages that, that show the Messiah coming and, the, and, and really what the, what the Messiah's purpose was. And what's, what's so interesting about scriptures is that through the Old Testament, we see the purpose of the Messiah and what he would come to do and what his purpose was. There is no mistaking that Jesus was the Messiah. Here's the reason why. This is so important for us to understand. If you're following along with your notes, you can, you can follow along in your bulletins there. But I want to give you some passages here and just some bullet points. But, but look at this first bullet point. The, the fulfillment of prophecy authenticated the person of Jesus. This is so important because for the Jew, they, they wanted to make sure that the Messiah was a fulfillment of prophecy. Now, maybe you and I looking back, we're like, oh, okay, yeah, we just, you know, we believe in Jesus. But I want you to know there's so much more that authenticated the person of Jesus, and we can see specifically through Old Testament prophecy how Jesus fulfilled this. So fulfillment of prophecy was imperative for many because of belief. And the fulfillment of prophecy authenticated the person of Jesus. And so I, 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 want, to, um, I want to give you just a couple things here. And so I kind of skipped myself in my notes, but let me give you this other bullet point. Um, hundreds of years before the birth of Christ, hundreds of years, hundreds and hundreds of years, we have these written prophecies that, that speak of the coming Messiah. And so what I want to do today is, uh, before we jump into Luke's gospel, I want to give you three prophecies, two from the prophet Isaiah, which he spoke some 700 years before the birth of Christ, and one from uh, the prophet uh, Micah. And all these prophets speak of what we were to look for in the Savior or in the, uh, in the Messiah. So let me look at this first one in Isaiah 7.14. Isaiah speaks the word of the Lord by saying, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. So for those looking for a sign, he says, This is what you're going to look for. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. So this is what we see in Mary. This was this fulfillment of Mary being that very person. And then it was going to be the son, and they were going to call him Emmanuel. And I want you to take notice of, of what this name is given to Jesus, Emmanuel. It literally means, Emmanuel literally means God with us. So what God's going to do is he's going to come and actually live amongst us to show us the way back to God. And so he's what, what this word means, it means just... To dwell. He is going to live amongst us. So they're going to be looking for a Messiah that's actually going to live on earth. And so John the Apostle speaks of this very thing in the beginning of his gospel. And he reiterates this very same thing that Isaiah spoke some 700 years earlier. When John in chapter 1, he says, And the word became flesh, and there's that word again, dwelt among us. God took his house Put it here and said, you're going to live here. My tent is going to be right here. I'm going to live amongst you. And he says, and you have seen his glory, the glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So God through his only son comes and he lives among us. God chose to come and live in our darkness to rescue us. 
So what we see here is Jesus coming into the world is a fulfillment of God's promise that he would never leave us or forsake us. God actually coming to live among us says, I'm going to come, I'm going to show you the way, and I'm, it, it's just a fulfillment of his covenant that he makes with us, this promise that he makes to us that he'll never leave us or forsake us. So we need this Messiah to come. He has to come because we need a rescuer. And so we know his name would be Emmanuel, who would be God among us, who would be born of a virgin. And we have this other prophecy that was given some 700 years before Christ's birth um, of where he would actually be born. Now, there is so, I'm just giving you a couple here, but just the fulfillment of prophecy authenticates the person of Jesus. It, it, it's amazing if you were to try to replicate these prophecies, the, the, it would be astronomical in the percentage of this actually occurring or happening. It's a miracle. It really is a miracle how specific these prophecies were because we know it was the word of God. Micah 5.2 says, it's, it shows the very place that Jesus was going to be born. He says, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be the ruler over Israel, whose origins are of old from ancient times. Now, when you see the word ancient times in, in the word of God, the word ancient of times actually means from eternity. It means forever. There's no beginning and no end. So we knew that the Savior is going to come from no beginning, no end. So we knew that the Savior would himself be God. And so we know the specific place we know that there's going to be a savior born of a virgin. Now we know the place in Bethlehem. We know that he's going to be God from ancient of times. And then also from another prophecy from Isaiah, we would know the purpose of the savior coming to earth. So we know where he's going to be born. We know he's going to be God. This is what we're going to be looking for. And we know that, that he's going to be this suffering servant. Listen to the, how specific Isaiah is some 700 years earlier, about what Jesus would come and do, that he would be this suffering servant. Isaiah 53. This is so amazing, this verse. It just amazes me, these, these, these scriptures right here from Isaiah. He said, he was despised and rejected by mankind. Check. We know that about Jesus. A man of suffering and, and familiar with pain. Check. From one whom people hid their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Check. Surely he took our pain and bore our sufferings. Check. We know he did that. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, but he was rejected for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Woo! Can you get any more specific than that? This is Jesus, exactly. And see, for Israel, their hearts were hardened. They couldn't see that. They were, they, they, they were, they, they were looking for this political savior, but God's saying, no, he needs to be a suffering savior in order to truly rescue us from our sins. And so we see that he's come to, and by his wounds we are healed. We, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Can you be any more specific than that? 
So we understand where he's going to be born. We understand he's going to be born of a virgin. We understand that that's fulfilled in Mary. We know that he's going to be this suffering um, um, servant. And so Jesus came on this rescue mission. This was his purpose. His purpose was coming to do something for us that we could not do for ourselves. And so Jesus' purpose for coming to earth was to overcome our sins for us. And so let me give you just another one. I love the story of the angel coming to speak to to Joseph because here once again, we're going to see the purpose of Jesus and why he's coming when the angel spoke to Joseph on what they were to call this Messiah. So the angel of the Lord spoke to Joseph in a dream and told him what name he was to give the child. And we can see this recorded for us in the Gospel of Matthew. And it says this, and as he considered this, because, you know, this is big news and, and uh, you know, he's their betrothed to be married, to, to Mary and, and Joseph, they said, was a righteous man. And, and so he's pondering this. And, and, and what scriptures tell us is, as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And he says, Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. This was God himself. And she will have a son, and you're to name him Jesus. And and here's the purpose of Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. That's why he came. The name Jesus, in the Old Testament we see the word Joshua, Yeshua, but the name Jewish means the Lord saves. The Lord saves. That's the name you are to give the Messiah of the world. You see, God understood something about us that we so many times are so blinded to. Sometimes I think we think our biggest problem is the economy. And it's not. We're always going to have ups and downs in the economy, right? There are times we're going to go through recession and there's going to be upticks and downticks. We can't trust the economy. Can I get an amen? Um, sometimes we think our biggest problem is politics, which is hard not to see in our, our climate today. <laughs> Just so many issues with politics. But how many you know that that's not going to solve our problems? Um, or education. Now, do we need help in economy and politics and education? Yeah, we need a lot of help there. But our biggest problem is our separation from God because of sin. And that's what... God knew that we needed, and that's why he sent his son. See, God knew exactly what we needed, and God expressed Jesus' purpose to Joseph from the very beginning. I read this some years ago, and it, and it, it put the, pers- the purpose of Jesus' coming into, into perspective. Many of you have heard this, but let me just, I have it up on the screen here, but let me read it to you again, because I think it just puts things into perspective of why Jesus came. And what our greatest need is. It says, if I, and I don't know, they don't really know who wrote this, but, you know, so we'll just, unknown author. But we'll, it's a great, it's a great, the words here are great. It says, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. But since our greatest need was forgiveness, God sent us a savior. That's the purpose of him coming. So God sent Jesus to fight our most significant battle for us. And we could never, in our own strength, ever win this battle over sin. 
Have you ever, have you ever been in that mode where you're like, I'm going to overcome that. Maybe, maybe before you knew Christ and you said, I'm going to overcome this thing. And then you try and you feel like you're doing good and you pat yourself on the back and then, and then you end up messing up again or messing up again. Or, or you look at your life and you're, you're thinking, I'm doing pretty good. And then, and then, and then someone else comes along that's just gooder than you. Right, if there is someone that's gooder than you, and then you look at your life and you're like, man, I'm not that good. They're really good. They're a lot gooder than I am. Right? And then we're trying to compare ourselves with other people, and then that gets us down. See, Jesus puts us all in the same playing field. None of us are gooder in comparison to God. We've all fallen short. And that's why we need a Savior. And, and the biggest aha moment in your life will come when you say you can't do it yourself. The biggest aha moment in your life is when you come to the realization that you aren't as good as you think you are and that, and that your failures, when you look at your failures and you look at all the mistakes that you made and you say, you know what, I can't, I can't do this on my own. I need help. And when you can come to that point of realization and humility that you need a savior, everything changes in your life. Whether or not you think you're good and then you realize your goodness never matches up to that or you think I'm too bad. How, how, how can God ever use me? When you can come to that realization where you just say, I just give up and I need a savior, that's your aha moment. And, and I know many of you in this room, you came to that aha moment where you're just like, I, I can't do it. And how many know that life just simply humbles us? It does. I mean, there are things that, that we just don't expect, and it will bring you to your knees. And God knows that about us. That's why he gave us Jesus. And so we are born into this sin, into this sin nature, and I mean, you don't have, I mean, you don't have to look any further than a child to realize that they're little sinners sometimes, aren't they? Aren't kids little sinners sometimes? They just are. They you know, I mean, how many of you parents ever taught your kid to say mine? Like, this is mine. You, you didn't have, to, you know, we've, we've got, we have to teach our children to share, don't we? But, but we don't have, because they're little sinners, that's all. And then they grow into big sinners, like all of us, right? It, it's, we don't have to teach, why? Because, because it comes naturally. It's in our nature. You know, we're born into sin, and, and, and we're born to take care of ourselves, and, and we're selfish. That's the result of, of, of sin. And so what we see in our world today is the result of mankind doing what they want. And so that's why we're in the mess that we are today. I mean, just watch five minutes of the news. And it doesn't take watching more than five minutes of the news to figure out, man, are we in a mess? We just are. We are in a mess. And our most significant need is forgiveness for our waywardness. And so what God does is he provides the greatest gift that the world has ever seen, and that's the gift of his son. And so what we see through prophecy is that the Messiah would be God, would be God himself that would come to earth, that the Messiah would suffer. So Jesus came to earth as God, the Messiah we see through Isaiah would suffer. We see that. And so we see the suffering of Christ. And then we see that the Messiah would be Savior. That he would die for our sins. That he would conquer sin and death through the cross and through his resurrection. Jesus checks off everything that the Messiah should be. 
There's over 300 prophecies about Jesus himself, specific prophecies. I've given you three today, okay? So let's go through all 300, right? No, I'm just, we'd be here all day, we'd be here all week. But you can trust that Jesus is who he says he is. I love C.S. Lewis. He gives this wonderful quote. Many people struggle. They may not struggle with Jesus being a person. No one's going to argue that Jesus walked the earth. I mean, there's no argument. Even if someone's an atheist, they know he's walked the earth. The problem with, with the belief in Jesus is, is he God? Or is he just another man, another good man, maybe a, another prophet, like maybe other sacred writings say, other, other religious writings say? Um, here's the difference about Jesus, and this is what I love about C.S. Lewis's quote. He says that Jesus didn't give us any other choice on how we are to receive him. So it's basically this uh, you know, lunatic liar or lord premise. He's either just a complete lunatic, C.S. Lewis says, on the same level as a poached egg. I mean, just complete everything he said was... He was just crazy, or he was just a liar, that he perpetrated the biggest lie on the face of the earth. Or he's Lord. He goes, you, you, can't, you, can't, you can't accept him without accepting him as Lord. There's no other, you have to either accept him as a complete lunatic or liar, but he never gave us any other option because he is Lord. He, he didn't say he just came to be a nice person or a prophet. He came to give his life for us as God. That's why he was sent to the cross. Because for those religious leaders at the time, they saw Jesus' words as blasphemy. As equating himself as God. And that meant death. That's why he was sent to the cross. And so that's where you have to come to realize, if you're here this morning, you'll say, I'm not really sure about Jesus. I would say look into his claims. Because he didn't give us any other option in how we are to believe in him. And these are the words of Jesus, not my words, but the words of Jesus himself, that he indeed is Lord. And so what God does, he provides for us um, so many things through his son. And so here's what I want to just, our time remaining this morning, I want to jump into Luke and how Luke describes this day that finally came, how this prophecy is fulfilled Luke describes the day how God faithfully fulfilled his promise, and this is absolutely amazing news. So I want to look at the Gospel of Luke chapter 2, and let's see, because um, Luke adds some insight here of what's going on around the birth of the Messiah. So you can turn there in your Bibles or look at the screen, but let's see what Luke says here in his Gospel. He says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And this was the first uh, census, giving us a little more detail here, that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So this is where Mary and Joseph traveled some hundred miles to Bethlehem from Nazareth so they could register. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to, uh, pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, 
and she wrapped him in cloths, placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now, let me give you some background here. It's very interesting background. And I want you to see the circumstances of Jesus' birth and how complicated they really were. Everything that surrounded uh, the birth of Jesus was very spiritually dark. And so I want you to understand the, the message of Jesus coming to the earth, especially the message that was given to the shepherds, where it says, this is, the angels announced good news. The angels said, this is good news, glad tidings for all people. This is the birth. This is what prophecy, this prophecy is being fulfilled right before your very eyes. This is God coming to earth. I want you to understand, in order for the gospel to be good news, in order for it to be good news, it has to invade dark, ugly, sinful places. The good news of Jesus can't be good news if I already think I'm good, if I think I got it all together. See, grace isn't grace until I understand how far I've fallen from God's grace. Isn't good news good news when you expect something really bad? Have you ever expected that and then you got good news and you're like, whew, right? You're pretty excited. You, maybe you took an exam and you thought you failed it. And then you end up got, you, you got a C or a B or an A and you're like, wow, I thought I was going to fail that and I got a much better grade than I thought I was going to get. The gospel is good news because it invades dark places and ugly places and sinful places. And so I want you to understand, Luke gives us insight to the culture that Jesus is born into. And so Jesus, what we see from Luke is Jesus is born in the Roman Empire. And so God comes in the midst of this ungodly empire. Let me give you a little more insight to how ungodly and dark spiritually the place Jesus was born. Let me give you some insight here. Luke says, and he gives us some insight, he was born while Caesar Augustus ruled Rome. And let me give you some more understanding and background to Caesar Augustus, because it's interesting that Luke mentions his name. And on the surface, we may just go right over it and not think anything about it, but Under the surface, there's great irony here on how God works in our lives. Augustus was given the name Gaius Octavius, and he actually was the grandnephew and adopted son of Julius Caesar. The name Augustus means the exalted. So here you have a king, the exalted, and you got this king... Jesus, at the same time, being placed in a feeding trough. Are you starting to catch the irony here a little bit? Okay, you're not catching it, but you're going to catch it in a minute. Okay, I'm going to go a little deeper here for you. Caesar Augustus ruled during what was known as Rome's golden age. They were looking, this is the biggest empire in the world. Prosperity is happening all around them. You would think, this is great. But under the surface, it was very dark and dark spiritually. Uh, Augustus was one of the most successful Roman emperors. He was exalted to this place of emperor because of his military victory over Mark Antony and Cleopatra and the battle known as um, Actium. 
And what happened is after his victory, the Roman Empire began with this new emperor, Augustus. And what he did, he ruled for 45 years in this golden age of Rome. This is, this is the surrounding that Jesus is born into. Now, here's the thing about Augustus. He actually allowed himself to be worshipped as a living God. And when he died, the Roman Senate officially declared him to be a God. So here you have the exalted one, worshipped as a God, ruling the most powerful nation in the world, prosperity, money, everything, fame, wealth. And then you've got the savior of the world that goes to this little town, as Micah says, of Bethlehem. There's no room wherever they were staying. So they had to be put into this Whatever room it was, maybe it was a place where, you know, we know he was placed in a manger, a feeding trough, so probably a place where animals stayed, and you've got the Savior of the world at the same time, completely different opposite situation. Do you see, are you starting to see more of the irony here? Okay, three of you are with me, so let me go a little further, okay? You're going to catch on, I'll go a little further. I want to read for you the birthday announcement that went out to the Roman rule from, from Augustine, or I mean from Augustus. I want to read his birthday note that he sent to the whole Roman Empire, and I'm going to read it for you literally. This is what it says. It said, Since providence, which has ordered all things and is deeply interested in our life, has set in most perfect order by giving us Augustus, whom she, filled, whom she filled with virtue, that he might benefit mankind, sending him as Savior, both for us and our descendants, that he might end war and arrange all things. And since he, Caesar, by his appearance, excelled even our anticipations, surpassing all previous benefactors, and not even leaving to posterity any hope of surpassing what he has done. And since the birthday of the God Augustus was bringing of the good tidings for the world that came by reason of him. Yikes. This is his birthday announcement. Claiming to be God. Claiming to be Savior. And bringing good tidings. Do you know what that word means? Gospel. Good news. The same thing that is said of Jesus. But Augustus' good news is not the good news that we needed to hear. And I know everyone in the Roman Empire is glad because they they see this prosperity. But here, this proclamation of Augustus is is juxtaposed to the proclamation of of this little baby that was born in a manger in an obscure little town called Bethlehem. Are you starting to see the irony now? Okay, six of you. Okay, let me go a little further. We're, we're getting there. I, 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 this, this time during the Roman Empire was known as a time of Pax Romana, which literally means Roman peace when Jesus was born. This would allow, um, and God knew exactly what he was doing. Because during this time, um, Rome did an expansive work of building roads. Remember, every road leads to Rome. 
And the message of the gospel would spread quickly because of the excellent road system that Rome built. And so the gospel message would just flourish in this, in this, uh, in that society. But I want you to see that Jesus was also born in this very dark spiritual time. And so what Luke tells us is that Jesus is born into this ungodly empire and, 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 and with an emperor who is worshipped as God. And so as we juxtapose the birth of Jesus with that of, of, of Augustus, we, we see this wealthy person who allows himself to be worshipped as God, who, who lives in, in a palace and then you've got Joseph and Mary. They were young teens. Mary is pregnant. They have to travel 100 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem to register for the census. They make it. Did I tell you that Mary was nine months pregnant, that they have to travel all this way to make it to Bethlehem? There's no place for them to stay. They lay Jesus in a feeding trough and, and wrapped in claws. Nothing surrounded the birth of Jesus was easy. Yet God, here's, don't miss this point. Don't miss this point. Yet God used the difficult circumstances surrounding the birth of Christ for his good. And you might be thinking to yourself today, you might be thinking, well, how is God going to use this, my life, or the things I've gone through for his purpose? And this is what I want you to understand. Out of dark places, God does great things. See, out of the darkness of being in the Roman Empire, this emperor who wanted to be worshipped God, which eventually would be very, uh, very difficult for Christians who would become persecuted because of that, because they wouldn't bow to, uh, to Caesar, they wouldn't, wouldn't bow to these emperors. This would become very difficult for Christians living for their testimony for Christ. But it's in this very dark place that God does his greatest work. And the birth of Christ, what it does is it gives us hope for ourselves. That we may look at our world, we may say, what is going on? But it's through this that God can do his greatest work. That he brings us into his life. And see, the funny thing about the birth of Christ is we celebrate his birth. And yet for most of us sitting here today, we didn't know anything about Caesar Augustus until about five minutes ago. But we're celebrating Jesus' birth. You go into the mall and you're, you, you, you can still hear joy to the world. I don't hear any Christmas songs being sung to Caesar Augustus. I, I don't hear it. He's long gone. He's long forgotten about. You see, Augustus was born in this royal family, rose to power to lead the most powerful empire at the time to be worshipped as God. Jesus was born not in a palace, but in a barn and had, had poor teenage parents, not royal ones, but Jesus is the one we worship today. You see, God uses the simple, humble things to do his most exceptional work. See, God understands your mess, your hurt. Jesus has been through what we have been through. He sympathizes with us. He's a perfect savior, a perfect priest in every way. And that's what I want you to understand about your life. So you might be here today and you say, how can God... Use my life. God uses the simple, humble, messy things to do his greatest work. That's the hope of Christmas. That God shines his light on, on all this darkness to bring us into his wonderful light, to change us, to redeem us, 
to send our life on a completely different trajectory. And so by Jesus coming, listen, by Jesus coming, and the way his birth was announced to lowly shepherds, to being placed in a feeding trough, I can relate to that kind of a savior. I can't relate to Caesar Augustus. Jesus came in the most humble way so that you would receive him. That we would come and say, this is the way that God desires to be approached. When we come with humble hearts and recognize our need for a savior, that's when our lives change. That's when everything changes. Jesus came specifically for us to lead us back into a right relationship with God the Father and to take care of our sin. That that no longer hangs over us. The guilt and the condemnation of sin and regret and condemnation are no longer for those who are in Christ Jesus. Does that mean we're never going to struggle again? Of course. Does that mean we're going to make mistakes in the future? Of course. But we have a Savior now that we can go to, that we can find forgiveness and healing for our sins and for our waywardness. But my position with God now is healed because of Christ. That God now looks at our life and he sees Christ in us and Christ's righteousness placed in us. That we may now approach a holy God, not because of my works, but because of what Jesus Christ has already done for us. So if you're here and you just have a lot of just guilt and maybe condemnation on your life or you're looking at your past or all your screw-ups or mess-ups, Jesus says, give them to me. That's why I came. That's why I came. Give them to me. And that's why we worship him. That's why we adore Jesus. Because of what he did for us when we least deserved it. And none of us in this place merit God's grace. It's freely given to us. It's a gift that God gives to each and every one of us. Would you receive that gift? It's free. He's not asking you to be perfect. He's asking you to humble yourselves. That's what Jesus does for us. Amen? I want to pray for you this morning. We're going to, we're going to close in, in song today. And, and here, here's, as we just, as we just pray and, and ask God just to touch our lives today and as we just sing this closing song, I love this song that we're going to sing. I, I, I want, the song is called Fill This Place. And I want you just to, just for the remaining moments we have together, just focus on Jesus and focus on giving him your stuff today and focus on him for who he is and how God just wants to envelop this place with his light and his love and and allow Christ to, to change you today with whatever burdens that you're faced with today. That's the hope. You, you cannot walk away from Jesus the manger, like the shepherds, you can't walk away and not be changed. You can't. So just come as you are and let Christ change you. Stop trying to change yourself. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Come as you are and let him do the work. So Father God, we bow our hearts before you today. 
And God, we're so thankful that you came. You didn't come as a rich, royal leader born in a palace. You came in the most humble existence. You came into the messiness of our world to show us the way back home. You came as a humble savior, not coming to be served like Caesar, but coming to serve us and give your very life. There is no other savior like you, Jesus. There's none that we can look to that did what you did for us. And so, Lord, we come to you and we say, forgive us, cleanse us anew and afresh, take away the guilt and the condemnation that has been left and scarred by sin, and may we come to you and find our freedom and our joy in you, Jesus. It's all about you and what you did. And so, Jesus, I pray you would just touch every heart here today, that we would embrace you for who you are, and that you will no wise cast us out. Thank you for receiving me, Barden, exactly the way I was, broken, beat up because of sin and waywardness. Thank you for receiving us and changing us. We don't need a Caesar. We need a Savior. We need a humble Savior a Savior that gave his life for us. Thank you, Jesus, for being that Savior. So as we just close in song today, I pray that you would just envelop this place with your presence, that we would feel your love and your compassion and your healing and your forgiveness today as we reach out to you. When we reach out to you, you do amazing things in our midst. So we want to reach out to you and just receive you today, Jesus. Thank you for the gift of grace. In your precious name, in your precious name, we ask these things. Amen.